Hey, Star Music Podcast listeners. Welcome to Episode 21. This is Michelle Scally, Senior Editor of Pharmacy Magazine. And this is Kristen Harm, Associate Editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Pharmacy is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. Kristen, what are we talking about on today's episode? We're speaking with Jack Bailey, President of U.S. Pharmaceuticals for GlaxoSmithKline on the podcast today. Michelle, you spoke with Jack for your article in the November issue about biotech in the Southeast, right? I did. Um, it's actually part of a series I'm working on for PharmExec that looks at biotech innovation hubs across the country. Jack has been in the North Carolina area for a very long time and had some great insights, specifically when it comes to the Raleigh-Durham area and how it's changed and grown over the years. We'll be back with Jack right after this quick break. keeping up with our podcast episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, among other apps. But did you know we also have a pretty cool social media presence? Our social media expert, Lisa Higgins, keeps our readers and listeners up to date on latest articles, podcast episodes, and industry trends. We'd love to interact with you and hear what you have to say about our podcast, article content, and magazine through our Twitter at FarmExec, our YouTube channel at FarmExec, and our Instagram at FarmExecutive. And then, of course, you can always find us at farmexec.com. Hey, podcasters. Today we are joined by Jack Bailey, President, U.S. Pharmaceuticals for GlaxoSmithKline. Hey, Jack, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Kristen. How are you? Doing okay. Can you tell us briefly about yourself and what you do at GSK? Yeah, so uh, I have been with GSK coming up on 10 years. Uh, the last uh, approximately four have been president of the U.S., so all of our pharmaceutical and vaccine business in uh, the U.S. reports up through myself. Uh, over 25 years in the industry, though, uh, about the first 18 with Eli Lilly and company, and then, as I said, nearly 10 years here at GSK. Jack, I first spoke with you back in September for my November article on biotech and pharma in the southeastern part of the United States, specifically the Raleigh-Durham area. And you are a big proponent of not just that particular area, but North Carolina overall for doing business. So tell us about your history in the area, when and why you moved there, and how you've kind of seen it change. Great. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. Yeah, it was funny because I I did my undergrad in upstate New York. Um, I decided, having grown up in Wisconsin and then going to upstate, I didn't get enough snow in Wisconsin. But... Uh, I studied biology up there uh, with a concentration in genetics. You, I have to tell you, I live in upstate New York, so I love hearing that. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> well, I don't miss the snow. The people were wonderful, but I don't miss the snow. So, But, um, no, I spent uh, a little bit of time in a lab up there and uh, with given my concentration in genetics, and it was a – while it was a great experience, it made me realize I, I didn't want to spend my life in, in, in a research setting. Um, so I ended up actually coming down to North Carolina, UNC Chapel Hill, uh, Keenan Flagler School of Business, uh, after a couple of years for my MBA. And uh, I was attracted to North Carolina. My parents had actually moved here. When I went up to New York, they moved down here. And um, my father was flying for an airline based out of Charlotte. 
And it was just a wonderful part of the country that I had not been exposed to prior to that point. So came down to um, business school, and as part of that, I actually did an internship and worked for a year at the North Carolina Biotechnology Center, which some people know was the first biotechnology center created in the entire U.S. It was in the mid-'80s. Uh, we had a very visionary governor who I think saw that, you know, as biotechnology as a science was starting to emerge and the first products were launched in the um, early to mid-'80s, that this would be a wonderful uh, sector to be in. And so the state really embarked upon uh, the creation of the Biotech Center. In many ways, that followed in the footsteps of North Carolina having created the first research park in the world in Research Triangle Park in the late 50s. So, again, we're, we're fortunate that we've had very visionary leaders uh, who saw emerging, in this case, emerging sciences. And uh, so for me, it, it convinced me that I wanted to work in the life sciences industry because I could bring together my love of science with, obviously, the business aspect of it. Um, and so I ended up uh, joining Eli Lilly and Company, uh, their management training program. As I said, I was with them for about 18 years. And uh, I was aware of GSK. We had a partnership with them in, uh, when I was working down in South Africa. And uh, they had some interesting science coming around in '09. And so uh, it was a great opportunity to get back down to North Carolina. Uh, GSK is the, the, the largest life science employer here in the state. Uh, but uh, it's just been wonderful to be back here, to be able to replug back into the life sciences community. And frankly, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, but I've been amazed at the growth since when I left. I left graduate school in 91, and it's been amazing to see the growth here over the last 20-plus years. So in your opinion, what makes the area a good place for biotechs and biopharma companies to start their companies there? Well, I think beyond this sort of uh, rich history of, focusing on research with Research Triangle Park and, as I said, realizing the potential of life sciences. Really, since the 80s, you've seen just continued growth of both large pharmaceutical firms like GSK. Uh, obviously, we originally, our, our roots go back to Burroughs Welcome here and then a merger with Glaxo um, and then ultimately SmithKline. But, the, you know, we've got roots here back to the 70s. But, you know, there have been, uh, that's been followed by a ton of biotechs that have emerged, um, and I think just because of the logical nature of the number of companies, a lot of life science service companies, including contract uh, uh, research organizations, CROs, including um, the former Quintiles, now IQVIA is down here, PPD. In fact, we're home in the state of North Carolina to well over 100 different uh, CSOs uh, and, and CROs, excuse me, in terms of various contract service organizations. Synthios is down here, IQVIA, as I mentioned. So uh, I think as the life science companies emerge, the services supporting them um, also emerge, and that provides some nice diversity and helps build out uh, the ecosystem that we're fortunate to have. We also have a lot of health informatics firms. Uh, you've got folks like Research uh, Triangle International, RTI, that does a ton of work uh, on health issues and other sectors around the globe. So I think the attraction has been a couple things. One is this ecosystem that is organically formed uh, of all parts of life science, uh, not just the companies, but the service organizations, the data supporters, even manufacturing. We have a lot of manufacturing in the area, especially vaccines, uh, but also non-vaccines, 
Biogen's got a, a plant down here for their MS uh, treatment. Novo Nordisk produces uh, some of their insulin down here. Merck has got a vaccine plant down here. We, of course, have a, a, a manufacturing plant for both our respiratory and HIV. So, I mean, this, this ecosystem has evolved over the last 30-plus years, but I think it's been coupled by a very supportive business climate, uh, again, by government leaders, uh, an environment that I think appreciates and values the sciences. And then, of course, I, I, I you know, core to this all has been three wonderful universities uh, between Duke, Carolina, and State, all here, along with some uh, other universities, NC Central and some other ones. So it's just really created a, a, a mixture of academia, private sector, and, and public support that has enabled us to perennially be viewed as one of sort of the top three areas in the country outside of the Bay Area and outside of Boston. I think what separates us, though, is if you look at the quality of life that we've been able to maintain down here in terms of both attracting talent and retaining talent, uh, you know, very reasonable housing compared to other uh, clusters in the country, uh, you know, you've got basic things like good education for your kids, top universities, as I've mentioned, that they can choose from. Uh, you've got the mountains two hours to the west and the ocean two hours to the east on, you know, one of the best interstates in the country, so, uh, or road systems in the country. So it's just, it really brings together the raw substrate, uh, the uh, cultural ecosystem, and the quality of life. And I think that's why we've continued to see such growth. Can you give us an example of how companies emerge from that ecosystem? Yeah, there are a couple that jump out. In fact, two that have done IPOs just in the last 12 months. Uh, one is G1 Therapeutics, uh, a company that uh, a lot of the uh, core ideas came out of UNC Chapel Hill, and Dr. Ned Sharpless ran until he moved on to uh, a prominent post up in Washington. But they've uh, recently did their IPO. They're a company that focuses on uh, small molecule um, uh, oncolytics and is a uh, clinical stage, but very exciting. They had a very successful IPO. Mark Vileka, the leader over there, uh, and the team are doing great work. That got a lot of attention. Another one is Liquidia. Again, uh, another essentially spin out uh, somebody named Joe DeSimone, uh, a researcher over at UNC, one of his many uh, startups. Uh, it's now being run by Neil Fowler. They also did recently did an IPO. They're a nanotechnology platform that covers multiple therapeutic areas. I think both of these show when you get that mixture of, you know, world-renowned universities coupled with um, uh, an ecosystem conducive to being able to take these ideas and form companies and in a relatively short time, in the case of G1 Therapeutics, be able to literally do an IPO, which just speaks to the energy and the opportunity in the area. You know, we've got other ones, GSK ourselves. We've got a partnership. It's a public-private collaboration with UNC uh, called Cura Therapeutics that was established about three years ago and, frankly, has the audacious goal of trying to cure HIV. Um, your listeners may know that uh, UNC Chapel Hill is one of the top one or two uh, universities in the country as it relates to a lot of bloodborne disease understanding, research, and expertise. And so uh, given that we're one of the top two uh, folks in HIV, it was just a wonderful opportunity to combine the strengths of both organizations and to really tackle something that is, you know, frankly, um, 
unprecedented in terms of if we can achieve this. So that's a, that's another example. It's less obviously it's not an IPO, but I think it speaks to this ecosystem and what it has the potential to continue to create in terms of life science companies. So it's interesting. You mentioned um, the universities, RTP, this natural ecosystem, um, groundbreaking research coming out of world-class universities, you know, and then the offices, the business, the space to help, you know, commercialize this and actually get these to market or, you know, an IPO and stuff. Um, and one of the things that I found interesting listening to you now, and even when we talked to when I was working on this article, seems like RTP and the, the whole area the Raleigh Durham area has only really become popular or really known for this in the past, you know, couple of years. However, we've been doing it forever. So why do you think now all of a sudden it's coming to light about this area and it's been kind of like a best kept secret until now? Yeah, it's 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 funny. It's a great question. I um because you're right, it has been going as I said, Burroughs Welcome in the early seventies, the biotech center in the mid eighties. Um all of these various companies, I think of another one, BioCris, run by John Stonehouse, doing some great work on orphan drug and autoimmune diseases, was formed, um, I want to say it was the late 80s, mid to late 80s. So this has been going on. I think in terms of the attention, it, you know, if you look at the Patel report, which is, you know, one of the many reports that track life science growth, over the last decade, North Carolina has been the state of all 50 that's had the greatest increase in life science jobs. So I think it's been it's been going on a while, but the attention maybe has increased more recently, in part because I think we do bring not just great science, great organizations, whether they be as we said academic, private, or or, or government um, related, with this quality of life. Uh, nobody wants to sit on the road for 90 minutes one way to work. Uh, you know, folks want to be able to have good health care, a great education systems for their kids. Uh, they want the energy frequently that, you know, a multi-university area like uh, the Triangle offers. Um, and so I think overall, I mean, perennially we're listed as one of the top, you know, one, two, or three best places to live, highest quality of life. So I think part of it is this new generation wants to be, you know, wants to be able to meld in some ways their personal and professional lives in a way that meets both. And I think that North Carolina in particular this, this triangle area, but really it's a corridor that ex extends, you know, west over to uh, Winston-Salem and Wake Forest there. They're doing some incredible regenerative medicine work under Dr. Tony Italia and really all the way down uh, to the coast with a lot of the um, contract uh, research organizations down in Wilmington or um, a lot of the great work going on at East Carolina University. So I think the state offers a wonderful quality of life, a, in a burgeoning life sciences industry, and that over time, actually, I think one of the also great secrets of uh, the area, we've got a lot of health informatics uh, decision sciences. All three of uh, the major universities, Duke, Carolina, and State, have great programs in that area. We've got, you know, obviously uh, organizations like SAS who are, have the focus in healthcare. Obviously, Red Hat, the recent uh, announcement of IBM acquiring them, they're based here, their headquarters here. Um, and so, you know, you've got a lot of interesting opportunity for big data to meld with the, the emerging science that is so exciting. Um, and so I think it's, it's all of that put together, incredibly energizing science and ecosystem coupled with a quality of life that people all of a sudden realize this is a great area to be.
I agree with you. When you were telling me about the area of life, I was like, sign me up, or the quality of life. I was like, sign me up. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about the money aspect, because obviously without funding, it's very difficult to run a company. Um, what is the access to capital like in the area for new companies just starting out? It's good. Uh, it really is. We've got multiple venture capital firms. We've also got even the North Carolina Biotechnology Center uh, funds a lot of early stage companies. So uh, it doesn't seem to be an issue. Uh, I think even, you know, if you look around the state, you're seeing pockets geographically that continue to grow in terms of attracting the money. So it's not something that I, uh, years ago, you would hear a little bit of it, but it's really not an issue now, I think, because we've had so many of these successful startups, uh, IPOs, uh, uh, this whole milieu of different life science-related entities that, you know, folks like Hatteras Venture Partners, which is right up the road, and GSK has been an active member uh, with them in various capacities on their scientific advisory board, et cetera. Uh, you've got other venture capital firms, too. So I think we're in pretty good shape on that, and I think it's only going to continue uh, we have, for instance, uh, four or five years ago, ensured that we've got direct flights from the Bay Area to make sure that it's a it's an easier trip for any investors from San Francisco who'd like to uh, look at the area and make investments here. Uh, and then obviously Boston is a is a direct flight straight down. So I think overall, while it may have been an issue years ago, it is not uh, current day an issue, and we look forward to obviously hopefully having more and more folks take an interest here from an investment standpoint in the area. So let's talk a little bit about talent, and not just new talent, but experienced talent who can help these companies grow. What are you seeing when it comes to attracting seasoned pharmaceutical executives to come to the area? I think it's one of the well-kept secrets. A lot of uh, – there's a, a number of executives who retire either from large pharma uh, large device. We have quite a few uh, former device leaders who, either because they maybe have gone to school here at Duke or Carolina, uh, have found that this is the area that they want to reside in uh, after they sort of complete their formal professional careers. Obviously, that affords wonderful opportunity in terms of just everything from mentoring to, you know, the networking and the, and the networks themselves that they are able to bring in in terms of exploring the science that's here. So I think from a experienced executive, we're getting stronger by the day, but it's certainly we start from a very good place. Again, a lot of that goes back to the quality of life, goes back to the universities that uh, many of these folks have trained at. I think in terms of the newer talent, again, it's a different generation, I find, than, for instance, when I graduated uh, from undergrad in the mid-'80s, to the extent that the quality of life and where you live plays a much greater role. I, I do think, you know, folks of my generation um, probably were more apt to go where the job was and deal with the area. I think we see a lot of our undergrads coming out, or even the, the graduate students coming out, who really fall in love with the area if they're not from here, or other students who may have graduated, gone out, and realized, I'm at that point where I want to start my family, and this is a very family-friendly area. So I think for all those reasons, we're finding talents not really an issue, again, because of the attraction of the area um, and or because people want to return to the area because they have very fond memories of it. It's interesting that you say that because while working on the article about the Southeast Bio, I heard that a lot from almost every single person I spoke to about the quality of life and that this new generation wants to stay in the area 
and they're not just going to where the jobs are anymore. Um, I actually heard that when we were talking with some of the economic development people over in Blacksburg, Virginia, for the article. Um, And it's kind of giving people who would not be happy in a San Francisco or a New York or a Boston the ability to practice their science and get the jobs that they want while still having a great quality of life. So I think that's an excellent point that you make. Yeah. Um, You've actually worked with a number of these companies that we've talked about. um, And what advice do you give them when they, you know, maybe see some of their competitors or friends moving out to California or Massachusetts, um, Hmm. you know, because they think it's better for their business? What do you tell them? Yeah, I mean, What's good is I haven't had that many, I probably count on one hand if that, of the number of folks who have opted to leave the area. It is, I spend a lot more of my time meeting with executives, life science leaders, uh, startup uh, folks who are coming to the area to help give them a flavor of it. Uh, again, I think one of the defining characteristics of, of North Carolina writ large, but the, the triangle in particular, is an incredibly collaborative spirit. Uh, people really do want to make sure that sort of the team wins rather than any one individual. And so, you know, I travel the country, travel the globe, and, I, you know, this isn't to say other areas aren't collaborative, but it really strikes you when you think about uh, the level of collaboration here, especially welcoming everything from individuals to between the universities. Um, you know, obviously you've got basketball season that's now upon us, and there's always a little bit of a, a frostiness there between the two blues. Uh, the light blue and the dark blue, but uh, setting that aside, it really is an area that I think is very welcoming. And again, folks who have grown up here have experienced that, and it frequently attracts them back to it. So uh, at day's end, it's less about talking people out of going to California or Boston, and it's a lot more about welcoming them, introducing them to the life science network that we have, and being able to hopefully be of assistance to them as they get settled here with their both their companies and their families. Well, you were talking, I was just telling Kristen um, that whole collaborative mindset. Every single person, I mean, I experienced it just working on this article. Every single person I spoke to gave me, like, five more people that I should speak to that would be interesting. And it's rare that that ever happens. Um, it was it was amazing. I just, more everyone I talked to just kept giving me more and more resources and more and more help. And, I mean, I can't thank you guys enough. It was It was pretty amazing. So I got to see that collaborative effort a little bit. Yeah, no, we, we call it the Carolina way, but we, we take a lot of pride in it that, uh, you know, you can, you can create an environment where everybody can win. Uh, folks can have, you know, wonderful professional careers, but also good quality of life. You know, I just, uh, to me, it's a really, there's real energy down here uh, from when I left in 91, and it was good then, uh, but I'm, stu- I'm stunned. I think one of the other things I think about as we have this discussion is, you know, the universities attracting researchers down here, I've heard multiple of them make the comment about not just the quality of life, but I think also you've got some neat things going on, especially, for instance, over at Duke with an entity called Biolabs, which you talked about in your Northeast uh, uh, edition of the Life Sciences. We've got, we're one of the five Biolab sites uh, around the country. And what that does in terms of being able to provide, you know, I think it's up to three dozen wet labs for startup companies, you know, so if you're, you know, thinking about coming to the area, thinking about joining one of the universities and you've got the opportunity, whether it be at Duke with Biolabs or the other two major universities, the chance to to have a startup in this ecosystem that you're constantly running into 
you know, other folks, other companies that have spun out of the universities, it really, uh, it really, again, contributes a positive energy to uh, and builds upon a lot of the success we've had. As a pharmaceutical executive who's at the helm of a company that might be interested someday in acquiring or maybe partnering with some of these startups, what qualities do you look for when thinking about these sort of things? Yeah, I mean, for us, it all comes down to good science, right? If there's really good science and it's tackling an unmet need, we want to talk. Um, I just think that, that, you know, again, back to my original roots in, in the science, that's what attracted me to this industry is the potential that we have to tackle some increasingly very tough diseases. And so when I think about what, you know, whether it's G1 or some of these other companies, what they're doing, it's just it's super exciting to think about the science, whether or not we partner with them or not. Um, any company that we're, you know, talking to, it really is about the quality of the science and the opportunity to meet those unmet medical needs. So, you know, certainly, you know, and it doesn't always require uh, partnering. I mean, we have a lot of our talent that will literally float between different companies. Um, we've had researchers leave here, start their own companies in the area, and do very well. Uh, I can tell you I, you know, engage with the universities regularly and literally uh, there's rarely a visit where somebody doesn't said, say, I used to work at GSK, now I'm a professor or researcher over here, and we pull in a lot of their talent, both from the medical school, uh, obviously UNC's got the number one pharmacy school in the country, we, we grab a lot of their talent, got some great business school programs, both at Duke and UNC. Uh, the manufacturing, especially high-end manufacturing over at NC State under Chancellor Woodson is, is phenomenal. We train a lot of our folks uh, in a partnership with them, and it's why, frankly, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of these high, highly complex manufacturing companies, whether it be Biogen, Novo Nordisk, uh, Merck with their vaccines, why they're attracted to the areas. They can, they can get the talent, uh, and they're able to, I think, again, sort of find a collaborative relationship here so that as they need to retrain folks or as the science moves on, they're able to, to tap into the talent or tap into the knowledge. But for me, what we look for is good science, meeting an unmet medical need. Um, that's always going to be at the top of our list. And we've done our own. We made an equity investment originally in Liquidia. Uh, and as I said, we've got uh, Cura Therapeutics partnership. So hopefully there'll be other partnerships that we'll see going forward in the future here. So as we wrap up, I just want to touch, obviously, anyone who's listened to this full podcast and listening to you, you're very involved in the community. Um, you work with these smaller startups. You work with the people coming to the area to be involved with other startups. You work with the academic institutions. Um, and obviously, that's very important to you. Uh, why would you encourage other pharmaceutical executives like yourself who might be listening, you know, to become involved in this community, uh, not just in North Carolina, but in their local community? I mean, you are very involved, <laughs> um, and that shines through, and you're almost like an ambassador, really, for the area. Um, why is that important to you, and why would you encourage others to do that? Um, I, I think part of it is, I mean, there is a professional element to it. I think, you know, much like when I worked with Lilly and when I worked with GSK, these are, you know, blue-chip companies that expect, especially senior leaders, to be engaged in the local communities, be able to, uh, ensure that, you know, employees can partner and have a positive impact, whether it be, you know, an after-school reading program or, in this case, you know, making sure that uh, we're helping to, to nurture the, the life sciences environment. 
So part of it is certainly professional. You know, there's a huge element of it, to be honest with you, that's personal. Uh, my father was in the military. We moved around a lot. Uh, I didn't really have that chance to feel as if, you know, we were necessarily part of a community. So for me, there's a, a personal satisfaction and an interest that comes from being able to be engaged in the local community, to be able to see the growth that uh, results from it, um, to be able to hopefully, you know, pay it forward to, um, and this, you know, could be, you know, startup companies of folks who, when I think about where I was 25, 27 years ago, just just entering into this industry, um, you know, there's a there's a personal satisfaction that comes from that, in addition to certainly a, a professional sense of obligation. So I think those would be the big things. And, yeah, I would encourage everybody. It uh, It's amazing with the way the science is moving so quickly and, frankly, the business model writ large. Um, it's only through that type of engagement um, in both formal and informal uh, interactions that I think frequently you can identify opportunities or, at a minimum, you can learn. And so for me, it's just who I am. Uh, and a little bit of a product of how I was raised, but also for uh, the fact that uh, the role I'm in. So for all those reasons, that's why I like to do it. And, yes, uh, I think we're fortunate. We do have a lot of folks in this area that are willing to commit the time, energy, and attention to do it. And, uh, again, I, as part of that community, I feel an obligation to do it too. So um, I would just encourage anybody who doesn't do it to do it because you'll definitely get something out of it in addition to probably helping somebody. That's actually some really amazing advice. Thank you so much, Jack, for taking the time out to speak with us and our listeners. We really appreciate it. I especially love when you talk about the positive and collaborative mindset or the Carolina way, as you put it. Uh, I think our entire industry can benefit from a collaborative mindset for sure. So thank you so much. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Kristen. Really appreciate the time today. And now it's time for this week's leadership tip from Pharma Execs. Hi, this is Jack Bailey. I'm president of GlaxoSmithKline. And my leadership tip would be know thyself. It's appropriate being in the life sciences industry to have something somewhat uh, medically related, but I think it's incredibly important as you step into uh, management roles and, and progress up the leadership pipeline that you really understand and know yourself, your strengths, and probably more important, your weaknesses. One, so you can manage them, but two, so you can build teams to compensate for them. So uh, the willingness to go through that deep self-reflection, that candid discussion uh, when you look in the mirror and say, what are you good at and what are maybe you not good at, knowing yourself, knowing thyself will serve you very well, and more importantly, will serve the people that you have the honor to lead very, very well. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember that you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, or on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director lisa.henderson at ubm.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker 
at todd.baker at ubm.com.